The story this morning is one that you have probably heard many times. As we draw near to Easter, our journey through Mark does as well. Today, we're talking about the Garden of Gethsemane and about suffering as Jesus suffered. Our sermon summary for today is this, and I'll repeat it because I know some of you are note takers. Jesus does not keep us from suffering, but he teaches us the faith to say, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus does not keep us from suffering, but he teaches us the faith to say, not my will, but yours be done. I remember during my studies, reading from a church father named Cyprian. Cyprian was an early church father, and he's one of my heroes. He was the bishop of Carthage in the middle of the third century. It was a difficult time to be a bishop, and in his nine years as bishop, he dealt with a lot of really important theological and pastoral issues. I found him continually inspiring, but I remember circling something that he'd written that I could not understand. As I was preparing for this series, and particularly the messages that are, that are coming, I was reading a letter he wrote called On Mortality. And I found this, this part of the book, or part of the letter, that I had a really hard time with at the time. When I first read it, and these are his words, when the dear ones whom we love depart from the world, we should rejoice rather than grieve. When I first read that, that we should rejoice rather than grieve when our loved ones pass away, I was surprised because I thought that was a shallow sentiment. The idea that somehow we would just be happy when people that we cared for, that we shared life with, that were part of our friends and family, passed away. I couldn't believe that he'd said such a thing. When I reread it, I remember the objections I had to it before, but I've grown since then. And I think I've come to see what Cyprian meant and the beautiful picture of Christian suffering that he presents for us. And that picture is going to help us as we read this story and we ask this question. The question is this. What am I supposed to do with suffering? So we're going to read from Mark chapter 14, verses 32 to 42 today. Mark 14, verses 32 to 42. You can go ahead and open your Bibles, or we might be able to move the camera to be able to take in the scripture reading. Okay. Mark 14, 32 to 42. Now, before we read, this is, this is happening just after Jesus and his disciples have left the Last Supper, and they head toward the Garden of Gethsemane at the foot of the Mount of Olives, and on the way, Jesus predicts the denial of Peter, to which Peter declares, even if everyone else falls away, I will not. And then we begin. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. 
stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. While we haven't arrived yet in Mark the places where Jesus suffers physically. This is the passage that I think best shows us what Jesus has to teach us about how to suffer like he did. Because it's in this story that Jesus submits to the cross. He takes up the cross in his heart before he takes it up with his body. And as he does so, he shows us what it looks like for us to take up our crosses and follow him. Earlier in Jesus' ministry, He'd spoken about the cross. We find that story in Mark chapter 8. He tells his disciples that he's going to be rejected and suffer and die. And Peter rebukes him because they believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He was going to throw off the oppression of the earthly rulers and he was going to establish God's kingdom here on earth. And Jesus chastised Peter then for not having the concerns of God and then he says to the crowd, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. I imagine his followers thought of that moment when they saw him actually carrying his cross on his shoulders. But it's this moment, and not that one, that teaches us how to endure suffering like he did. When we suffer, we tend to do it for one of three reasons, or in one of three ways. And they all kind of have to do with time. We suffer the past. I think this is what grief looks like. Something has happened in the past, a loss of a loved one, or a rift in a relationship, and it causes us pain still. It causes us suffering still. In those moments, we're suffering the past. We also suffer the present. We're experiencing physical or emotional pain. This might be the case if, if we're, we have an illness that's actually currently distressing us. This might also be the case if we are currently in the midst of struggle or difficulty or rift with loved ones. Some of this is present in Jesus at Gethsemane. He is suffering the present. When Jesus asks his closest friends to pray and they cannot stay awake, Jesus has already told them that his time is coming. He's already told them that he will suffer and die. 
And while they certainly don't realize that it's all happening so soon, they will not stay awake for a single hour to pray. It's in those moments that we have to remember that while Jesus is fully God, he's also fully human. He knows the pain of being abandoned by his friends. They're going to deny him. They will cower in fear and hide away in locked rooms after he dies. And it will not be until he comes to them again that they step out in faith. As truly as you or I will ever experience it, Jesus knows the pain of abandonment. And then, betrayal. The end of our story, Judas comes. Now, before, before our story, in the Last Supper, we know that Jesus washed the feet of his apostles. He washed Judas's feet. He loved him. He taught him. He cared for him. He spent years with him. And then he had to endure betrayal from him. As truly as you or I will ever experience it, in fact, significantly more so, Jesus knows the pain of betrayal. So we suffer the past, we suffer the present, and we suffer the future through fear. We fear that a loved one who is sick is going to be taken from us. We fear that our life will not turn out the way we hope it does. We fear a virus that spreads easily and has shown up in our community. Suffering the future through fear can take a lot of shapes. In fact, I imagine that in one of these three categories, some of you who are watching here today find yourselves still mourning or grieving the loss of a loved one, and it still hurts. Dealing with rifts in relationships or family here and now, or worried about whatever is coming, whether it be an illness, or whether it be a confrontation, or something that you know in the future that's coming, that's causing suffering today. Now, this is the primary type of suffering that Jesus is enduring in Gethsemane because he knows what's coming. There are a few things in our passage I want to draw out because they're going to help us to see how Jesus suffered well and how we can follow him. First, we see that Jesus' suffering is real. It's not just put on. He was not in such a way because he was fully God and fully man. He was not in such a way that suffering was impossible for him. His suffering was real. We hear him say in verse 34, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. This is something that maybe you can relate to. I remember receiving the, the good news that Lisa and I were pregnant on our third attempt. And then I remember the phone call where we were told that we had lost the baby that came later. And I remember just the awfulness of that moment. And a phrase like, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, spoke to me, made sense to me. Perhaps you're listening today and you've never been there. Perhaps you have. But I think that this is a, a perfect picture of the cry of a soul in the midst of suffering, overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus' suffering 
was real and true. When we suffer, he knows what we're going through. The next thing I want to draw out of the passage is this, that in his suffering, he clings to his father. We see in verse 36, as he prays, he begins the prayer, Abba, Father. In other words, that on the, on the eve of the hardest event of his life, or that anyone in all of history ever could or will go through, when he takes upon himself the sins of the world, is wrenched away from the Father and dies for our sins. On the eve of that day, he goes to prayer. He clings to God. He tells his disciples to do the same thing, but they don't. He warns them that they need to pray so that they do not fall into temptation, but they don't. I wonder sometimes if Jesus would have, I'm sorry, if Peter would have had the courage to claim Jesus rather than deny him if he'd spent his evening in prayer as his Lord had commanded him to. I wonder that if he'd have clung to the Lord and spent the evening before him, in that moment coming, when in fear he denied even knowing Jesus, maybe that would have gone different. Jesus shows us a picture of what he does in the face of suffering, and it's cling to his Father. And then the third thing that we see from this story as Jesus approaches suffering, he does it obediently. He says in that same prayer, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. In other words, God, I know who you are, and I know that you are capable of all things. God, this awful thing is coming, and there's... there's there's no way that I want to go through with it. Please, Lord, take it from me. But, not what I will, but what you will. Not my will, but yours be done. He shows us what obedience in the face of suffering looks like. So I said earlier, that we needed to ask this question. What are we supposed to do with suffering? The first thing that I want to say is this. We cannot avoid suffering. I think that this is a, a, a temptation or a tendency that we have. In the face of possible suffering or present suffering, we, we want to act in such a way to keep it from happening. I think that's one of the reasons why you cannot go to Walmart today and find toilet paper. I can't figure out exactly what's going on in people's minds, but for some reason, the possibility of a two-week quarantine is leading them to want two months of toilet paper. I think that that either comes from a misunderstanding about what exactly happens when you have coronavirus, or they already needed to see a doctor long before now. I don't know why people need months of toilet paper at this time, but they seem to think they do. And I think there's something about 
the comfort of doing something, even though it doesn't make sense, even though it's not rational or helpful, they want to do something. I know that for me, as Lisa and I went through our hardships, the, the two-year period that was just awful, when we lost four pregnancies, four babies, and my father passed away. It was just, it was hit after hit after hit. And I remember in my times of prayer and devotions that I would go before the Lord and I would say, why? And I, I think that I'm probably not alone in this because we don't, we don't represent ourselves best before the Lord in the midst of hardship. But why is it that this is so hard right now for us? Why is it that it seems like every hit that there is is coming to us? We know that that's not true, but in the midst of hardship, you tend to focus on the things that you're dealing with. And, and I remember wrestling with this, this story that I had deep within me that I knew was wrong, but I could not help that part of me believed. Perhaps you know what I'm talking about. Somewhere deep down, I felt like if I just was good, then good things would happen. If I, if I obeyed, if I, if I was holy, if I did the things that I was supposed to do, then good things would happen. We know that there is no promise for Christians that we will be spared pain. But many of us, somewhere deep in our hearts, hold on to this lie that if I'm good, bad things won't happen to me. It's not even a thing that I was aware of in my heart until I was in the midst of that struggle and that difficulty. But this does not work. That's something that anyone who's in that position eventually finds out. You cannot earn your way out of suffering with the Lord. It is not true. While making good choices can keep us from experiencing some bad consequences of those choices, we cannot, through being good, protect ourselves from hardship or suffering, those are things that all of us will experience, whether it's through the loss that happens of loved ones, whether it's through our own struggle as we enter into the phase of life where our body does not care for us in the way that it used to, or whether it comes in that time when in the future we contemplate what it's going to be like for this life to end. Suffering is something that all human beings experience. And so in the end, to the question, what am I supposed to do with suffering? We have four answers I want to give you today. And the first one is this. There's nothing to do about suffering except first to suffer it. You can't, you can't get out of it. You can't avoid it. You can't live this life in such a way that you never experience it. When it comes to suffering, first, you have to suffer it. But that is just the first step. There's more. The next thing we have to do is we have to suffer with obedience. We see that with Jesus as he, in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing what's coming, that he's about to endure a pain and a struggle beyond what any human being ever had before. A pain that we cannot imagine. 
not only to be consumed after being battered by our sins, taking them upon himself in the middle of physical torture, and then to have the Father be pulled away. Still he said, not my will, but yours be done. I think that for many of us, there will come a time when we don't know how to endure what we're going through. When we look around at what's happening in our lives, we don't know how we're going to find the strength to move forward. The scriptures promise us again and again that we will be sustained by the power of the Spirit. We are promised again and again that we are never alone. Not only is his Spirit always within us, not only are we surrounded or have the opportunity to be by his body, the Lord himself is always with us. Those promises are again and again through Scripture. For me, suffering has looked like this. Think about life as a series of rooms. And sometimes you find yourself in a room where everything is going well. Perhaps you're, you're newly married, or perhaps everything is going well with your family or your kids, or perhaps you're in school and that's just going terrific, and you're in, you're in that room. But eventually the situation changes. Jesus walks into a different room, and you have to decide whether or not you're going to follow him. And eventually you get, you see a room that's the loss greater than what I can bear room. The situation I don't think I can handle room. The fear I don't know what to do about room. The helplessness to protect the ones I love room. And for me, it's been saying to Jesus, Lord, I don't know how to be here. I don't know how to live this way. And what's so good about our Lord is that we don't have to. He doesn't ask us to. All he asks us to do is follow, and that I know, what I know how to do. One foot in front of the other to follow my Lord wherever he leads. I think that's what suffering looks like for a believer to say, I can't deal with this on my own, but thankfully I'll never have to. Our Lord will lead us from room to room until that day we greet him in eternity. So it's not can you handle this on your own, it's can you follow Jesus one foot in front of the other, one step at a time. Can you rise today, regardless of what you're going through, give the glory to him and follow? Can you learn to say, not my will, but yours be done. So the first thing we, the first answer we have to what are we supposed to do with suffering is we have to suffer it. The second answer is we're to suffer with obedience as Jesus did. Third, we're called to suffer with faith. There are a couple of passages that are meaningful for me here. And they're hard because they're not the kind of things that you want to just say to a person who's in the middle of suffering. We are actually really bad about caring for one another a lot of the time. 
I think it comes from this desire to want to be able to say something, to want to be able to do something, sort of like going out to buy the toilet paper, right? And so we're, we're confronted with someone who has just lost someone or someone who's going through a difficulty and we need to say something, and so we cast about and we say a thing that we think sounds good. Right? Romans 8.18 is a wonderful verse. Please don't use it as the thing to say to someone in the midst of the hardest time. It reads this way. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. You see, there's this promise for those of us who follow the Lord and belong to him. That no matter what this life holds, no matter how easy or hard we find it, no matter how much joy or struggle, happiness or suffering, there is something at the end of this life that is so very much better than anything we've experienced inside of it. An eternity spent with the Lord. It's a wonderful promise. Suffering with faith means that even in the midst of the hard time, learning to latch on, cling to the promises we have, that one day the suffering will be over and we'll be with the Lord. And I believe that in that moment, on that day when it happens, when we see Jesus and run to him, the suffering and hardship that we have experienced, we will be able to look back and see how he was at work in the midst of it, step by step and moment by moment, working in and around and through us to change us because the promise and desire he has for us has never been an easy, comfortable life. He wants something so much better for you than for you to just live a life without suffering. He wants you to become like him and to be with him. And so we have also Romans 8:28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. In all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. That's Romans 8:28. The idea here is synergy. God is at work even in the hardest things. Even in the middle of your hardship, God is at work. And what is available to us is that we can join with him in that work and allow these hardships, these struggles, these difficult times to change and transform us and to make us more like him. That's an incredible promise. We talked earlier about how some part of us holds on to the lie that if we're good enough, then bad things won't happen. There are a lot of problems with that. First, we know that only the Lord is good. If we take a real look at ourselves, honestly, we know that we do not earn anything by our goodness. But even more than that, the reward of an easy life is not the purpose of the Christian walk. He wants to change you and be with you. Our reward is so much better than that. He 
is our reward. Jesus is our reward. He's what's waiting for us at the end. And so God can use our suffering, our difficult times, to grow and stretch and heal in other ways all these rifts or or brokenness that we have inside of us. And that's not all he can do either. You see, there's another another part, and it's, it's hard to talk about sometimes because I don't believe that this is why God allows us to suffer. I don't believe he puts us through suffering for this purpose, but I also believe that there's something about having suffered through something before that makes you better able to care for, to love, to guide those who are suffering with it after. If you've experienced the loss of a loved one, it equips you in a special way to help others who are suffering the loss of a loved one. If you've been through cancer, it equips you to be able to help or speak to the fears and struggles of those who are struggling with it today. There's a promise also in suffering because of who our God is that he will not let it be wasted. Not only will it change us, he will will use us to bless others who experience it later. And so this picture of following Jesus from room to room, even when we're walking through a time of hardship and suffering, I won't be able to see what he is doing. We cannot see what's happening, what God is up to in the midst of the hardship. Sometimes we can. Those moments are a gift, but usually we don't know. Suffering with faith means that we realize we can trust him. That he is at work in powerful and important ways, even in the midst of our hardest times. And so question about what to do with suffering. First, we suffer it. We suffer it obediently. We suffer with faith. But lastly, or firstly, we need to prepare for suffering. You see, Jesus tells his disciples to pray before their moment of crisis comes. They have not yet been put in a position where it's going to be hard to claim Jesus, where it's going to be hard to follow him, but it's coming. And he says, pray. I think some of us believe that if we just don't think about, worry about, or or believe that suffering will happen to us, somehow we can keep it away forever, and that's just not the case. But to be able to truly, in the midst of staggering loss or fear or pain, be able to say with our heart, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. That doesn't come easily, and it doesn't come automatically. And there will be a day, there will be a day when something is coming or something has happened and you're stepping into the throne room of God and you're asking, Lord, please, you can do anything. Take this from me. 
but it is a faith that has stretched, a faith that has practiced, a faith that has prepared, a faith that has gone to the Lord again and again with this same sentiment that is able to say, but not my will, but yours be done. We practice that when we have a bad day and we say, Lord, this is not how my day was supposed to go, but not my will, but yours be done. When we have those little obstacles or at the beginning of a day when we don't know what's coming, we practice and we train our hearts again and again to release control as though we ever had it in the first place and to say to the Lord, what you want is so much better than what I want. What you have in store is better than anything I could ever prepare for myself and not my will, but yours be done. I said at the beginning of this that I had stumbled upon this writing from a church father that had always been a hero of mine. I didn't understand when I read it a long time ago when he said this. When the dear ones whom we love depart from the world, we should rejoice rather than grieve. I remember thinking that what he was saying is that we shouldn't be sad. And that seems silly. When we lose our loved ones, we're sad. When we suffer, whether it's suffering the past or present or future, we're sad. It is acceptable for suffering to make us sad. But we are blessed to have a God who is not absent in our suffering. We have a God who promises something better than we could ever hope at the end of our suffering. And we have a God who knows what it is like to suffer. And so we have a God we can trust as we follow him step by step and say, not my will, but yours be done. I think that what Cyprian meant wasn't that we shouldn't be sad, but that we can rejoice in the promise of the God we serve, and we can rejoice in the trust we're able to place in him, and we can rejoice that at the end of every road of suffering is a road of overwhelming and unspeakable joy. So my challenge to you today is this. To make a practice in your prayer life. If you pray it now, keep praying it. If you don't, then begin every day when you go to the Lord. Say to him, not my will, but yours be done. And then when that moment comes, when it catches in your heart because you're not sure you want to turn over control to the Lord, you, have, you will have, through the power of the Holy Spirit, worked with him to create in you a heart that truly trusts him more than yourself and is able to say, be it with tears or trembling, not my will, but yours be done. Pray with me. Father God, we come before you. Lord, and we are thankful for blessings. While our lives are being affected by this virus that we've been warned about, 
And Lord, that can be scary or frightening, or it can be frustrating. Lord, we pray that you help us to have compassion on others that are reacting differently than we are. Lord, we pray that in the midst of this time, or as we go forward with our lives, when we go through those dark times, those hardships, those times of suffering, that you would empower and encourage us, prompt us by your spirit to trust you, to rejoice in you, to follow you, and to rest knowing that your will is so much greater than ours. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.